Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. Thank you for listening to the show. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to Rob's Reliability Project on your favorite podcast platform, as well as share it with your colleagues. If you're looking for more content, check out or follow Rob's Reliability Project on LinkedIn and Facebook for some different types of content and check out robsreliability.com as well. If you're looking for a short daily audio tip, subscribe to Rob's Reliability Tip of the Day on your favorite podcast platform. As well, it's also available on Amazon Alexa as a flash briefing. So check that out. Finally, if there are any topics, guests you'd like to hear from, questions you want answered, or if you'd like to appear on the podcast, just send me an email to robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Now let's get rolling. Hey guys, I'm excited for this one. I'm here with Calvin Williams. And if you don't know Calvin, first off, follow him on LinkedIn. He puts out a continuous improvement tip of the day. So if you, I mean, if you love the Rubs Reliability tip of the day, definitely get on Calvin's tip of the day. It's great. Calvin, how are you? I'm doing great. I appreciate the the warm endorsement there. I really appreciate it. And I, I, I follow your post as well. And I, I really appreciate what you do as well. And I see uh, you put out a lot of really valuable content. So good stuff. No, thank you. And, and you know, like it, it's about spreading the word, right? So like you put out a tip of the day, it's short, it's easy, it's digestible. I love it. And that's that's really what it's about, right? It is. It is. And I like the way you put that, digestible, right? <laughs> With uh, today's uh, social media minded folks, I think, uh, you know, having that little bite sized piece of knowledge or uh, insight every day is, 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 is definitely the way to go. So awesome. And maybe maybe give people a taste of what it is. Do you remember what your tip of the day was today? Oh, man. Um, I think it was something regarding feedback loops and how as leaders, it's a good idea to, to increase the quality of feedback loops so that uh, people can practice, experiment and get the responses in a shorter time frame so that they can actually build skills at a faster pace. So. Yeah, that's uh that's an idea from a from a from a webinar I'm actually working on that that perhaps we'll talk a little bit about today actually. Awesome. Yeah, and and I mean like let's break it let's get into that a little bit. So the the feedback loop are you talking about like a verbal feedback or like an email or how does that work? Yeah, so any form of communication can be a feedback loop and the idea is for someone trying to learn a skill, let's say a continuous improvement skill, for example, uh, ideally they would there would be an action and an immediate response that lets that person know if the action was effective or not. Right? Think of a, a two-year-old touching a, a lit candle. Right? The, the the feedback is pretty immediate, and they learn very quickly that touching the lit candle is probably not a good idea. Right? So if you think about that from a skill building standpoint where someone's trying to learn how to do process improvement, the ideal quality for feedback would be immediate in real time. 
directly from the customer and uh, through direct observation of the learner. So um, if you think about a lot of feedback channels that exist in a manufacturing environment, for example, on one end of the spectrum, the annual performance review where you sit down and the conversation starts like, hey, uh, you did something 11 and a half months ago that I didn't like, <laughs> right? That's That type of feedback doesn't have a lot of value because it, it was so long ago. You've probably already made the adjustment in your behavior. And, you know, there's really nothing you can take away from that that you can learn and experiment with for the future. Ideally, it'd be um, you make a change to a production line and you get a signal immediately saying whether or not that change was was is producing the result that you're looking for. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and that's one thing I, I have a like I guess I have an issue with a lot of the annual performance reviews is that like if if as a leader you're not communicating with your staff effectively and all the time, then what are you really doing? Like you're missing all this opportunity to teach people how you expect them to do work or, you know, how, like what you're, you're missing uh, opportunity to kind of communicate your vision for your team. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And it's, uh, and a lot of time, if it's, if, if the, the feedback delay is too long and, you know, you've already learned and adjusted and grown from, from other, other, you know, experience, and then you get that feedback, it almost comes across as more punitive than constructive because you're already a different person. You already have made the adjustments, the proper adjustments. So, yeah, I think as a leader, it's almost better to just work hand in hand with your people for, you know, blocks of time to sort of see where they're at and then coach them up to the next level. And that's that's the key word there, too, is coaching. Right. Because there's a difference between uh, command and control and coaching performance as command and control. It's top down. Do what I say kind of mentality. And coaching is more. Uh, you own it. It's yours. You're responsible for the results, but you also own the process. And uh, I'm here to support you in being successful and in, in bringing the most possible value to the customer. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Now, Calvin, you recently started a company called Improver Technologies. Do you want to give everyone a taste of like what you do and then also where they can find stuff where they, if like, let's say they want to have you do a project for them. Where can they find you? Yes. Uh, well, thank you, for, thank you for asking, Robert. I'd be delighted to talk about Improver. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Improver is a lean manufacturing software. Uh, in a nutshell, it's designed to teach your manufacturing teams how to apply the scientific method to drive process improvement. So uh, if you think about what continuous improvement really is in uh, the PDCA cycle, Plan, Do, Check, Act, uh, that's essentially the scientific method. You ultimately want to drive the skills to be able to conduct that process down to the operator level and then train your leadership team, supervisor, mid-level leaders and leadership teams to be better coaches in the process. And essentially, they're just coaching the operators on uh, driving that uh, the scientific method to improve. What a lot of what a, what we're seeing you know, a lot of CI professionals are learning and seeing is that you can go out and do top down Kaizen events and, you know, supervisor, expert, leader led improvement projects. And then over time is those projects fail to sustain. 
And the reality is, is that if your operators aren't building the capability to understand why preventative maintenance is important, following SOPs is important, cleaning, inspection, lubrication, those those preventative maintenance steps are important, then you'll see any any Kaizen or improvement effort start to erode over time. So um, the key is to really drive that capability and understanding down to the operator level. And that's what improvers designed to do. And uh, a lot of companies are, are evolving toward uh, world-class manufacturing TPM practices. Improver actually helps organically push you in that direction as you kind of pinpoint where you want to drive improvement. What ends up coming out of it is uh, autonomous maintenance level understanding of how to take better care of the equipment and sustain excellent performance over time. So that's uh, generally the idea. It's, it's a lean manufacturing software. It's really a continuous improvement software, but the focus is really on driving people capability. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's, that, that's a theme that we've talked about on the show a lot is at the end of the day, it's, it's a cultural thing. Like, like the doing all the reliability you know, project stuff like RCM, root cause analysis, uh, whatever, like Kazan, all that stuff. Like we can all read a book. We can all understand it. We can all like implement it at our site. But the real, the real hard part and the real kind of success comes from changing the culture, educating your people and really getting it down to the shop floor. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, uh, the webinar. Okay. Let's talk to <laughs> because what you're talking about is, is, is hitting right at the heart of what we'll be discussing for our next webinar, which is, which is called generating the skill and will to improve, uh, targeted for uh first week in December. So, um, yeah, to your point, there's two aspects of it, right? There's the skill to improve that's, you know, how to do a root cause analysis, you know, how to do PDCA, you know how to do scientific methods, you understand how to look at OEE and evaluate your losses. Those are all skills, right? And those are all critically important. But where I think, you know, I had to learn in my in my CI journey, and I think the, the industry and CI is starting to realize is that the big opportunity for continuous improvement is in generating the will to improve. And if the will is there, the skill will follow. In other words, if if someone wants to improve a process, they're going to figure out how to do it. They have the motivation to go. They'll figure out how to how to make that happen. So um, so that's something I've been studying and applying later uh, lately with with in, in my role with manufacturers is sort of helping them see how to uh, do what I call gamify their culture. And you mentioned the word culture as well. And there's. There's a there's a, a model, a framework out there called Octalysis. And uh, you can Google Octalysis and it'll be you know one of the first few search results. And it talks about the eight core dimensions of gamification. And it's an incredible model. I highly encourage uh, folks to take a look at that because what it does is it looks at um, there's essentially eight dimensions that drive all human behavior. And these eight dimensions already exist in your culture, your company, your uh, in, in, in the, you can look at the U.S. economy. It also has these same eight dimensions to drive uh, drive the economy. So um, 
Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. And it really makes you consider what you can do, what strategies you can deploy to to further engage people and make work feel more like play. If you think about work versus play, you know, we pay to play. <laughs> we get paid to work. They have to pay us to work, but we we would we willing to pay people, other people, so so we have opportunity to play. But uh, I think we're learning that work is not the opposite of play and that uh, uh, we can actually incorporate some of the strategies of play in our work to to more deeply engage people in uh, in a culture of continuous improvement. Now, I yeah, I really love that. And and like if you listen to the the episode with uh, Michelle Ledette Henley, we talked about, you know, intrinsic motivation and one of those intrinsic motivators was play. So how do we like how do we start with game of gamifying our work? Oh boy, that's a uh, <laughs> that's a that's a deep question on many levels. <laughs> but but yeah, I think um, when I think about that, I think about what's what's happening in the workforce. You got to think about first your company strategy and what you're trying to accomplish and what kind of people you need on the bus to accomplish accomplish that strategy, right? And then consider that our workforce is changing dramatically. Uh, you got folks leaving the workforce with 30, 40, 50 years of experience. And then you got folks coming right out of high school and college to replace them. And it's not a one for one headcount exchange. It's a headcount plus decades of experience being exchanged with a headcount with very little, you know, uh, a lot less experience. Right. So, um, you know, these are younger folks and play is, is a much more important um element in what they look for in a, in a workplace culture. So, you know, each it's important to know the eight core drivers of of gamification. And this these these drivers are developed by folks who develop video games. And you know, there are folks who will who will sit and have a 36 hour binge on on uh Fortnite or uh um and some of the other popular video games. So um, and then it's, it's important to evaluate your current culture on how strong the drivers are, your, your existing drivers are against those eight dimensions. And then you might look at where you're weak at and kind of see if there are some strategies you can deploy to strengthen your culture in those specific areas. And then, you know, with consideration of what type of people you want to attract, like you say, some people are motivated by intrinsic, some people are motivated by, motivated by extrinsic some are motivated by desire to improve. Some are motivated by fear of, you know, fear of loss. So, yeah, it's um, each organization is going to be different. But I would definitely say start with your strategy, what you want to accomplish, and then do an assessment on where you currently are and figure out where your gaps are and, and, and deploy strategies to close some of those gaps. Yeah, I know that. I mean, obviously, starting off with, you know, where you're at and where you want to go is is key to to pretty much any improvement. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a fundamental, fundamental improvement approach. So so let's let's switch gears and let's let's get back a little bit into continuous improvement. So you recently wrote an article called the top 10 most misunderstood lean tools. Do you, do you want to give us, you know, a little breakdown of what those were? Like I, I read it and, and I saw, you know, like you were saying people misunderstand OEE. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, like tell us a little bit about that. Oh, good. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the taking the time to to take a look at that. I put my heart and soul into those articles, just so you know, Rob. I like them. <laughs> um, good, good. Uh, so the idea there, with especially with OEE, and there's there's ten of them, but we can start with OEE. And what a lot of people do is they look at OEE as an output metric, right? They they look at it as a grade, sort of a grade on in, on on a classroom paper or something, and, and you look at it like a pass or fail kind of thing. And then uh, you know sometimes even high level leaders look at your OEE score and say, oh, you're at you're only at sixty percent. And, you know, there may be some punitive action taken because uh, the number isn't where you want it to be. And sometimes that drives bad behaviors, right? Because that gives you an incentive to uh, hide losses, right? And, and, and not and look for opportunities to say, well, that issue, you know, we had that loss because a supplier sent us bad material and we don't have control over that. So it's not our fault. Let's not include it in our OEE. Right. So things like that. So what you really want to use OEE for is to understand where your losses are and use it as an input to where to apply your next continuous improvement project or where to focus your continuous improvement effort in, in order to get the biggest bang for your buck. And um, the other thing. So that's so that's sort of the planning piece. So we talk about PDCA plan, do check act. So you can use OEE at the planning phase to say, all right, I see we have some some significant losses in this area let's focus our efforts there but then it also serves as a check to say all right so we we did our planning we we did you know the d in pdca we the do the do step and then you go back and validate during the check using oee to say whether or not to see whether or not if the things you did made the uh produce the result that you were looking for so OE is 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 sort of a um, is sort of a guide to show you a how much better can you get what are your losses and b what are the real impacts of the 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 changes that you're making to your process in effort to drive improvement. Yeah, and you know, like let's just talk about that for a minute. So the the check step is, is something is is so fundamental, and I was talking to a couple of uh, my junior engineers the other day, and we were talking about root cause analysis. And, you know, if you follow the, you know, the PROACT method, the last step is track. So track your improvements. And so, and I was, I was saying, it was like, if we don't track and make a measurable change, then like, yeah, we had a fun exercise in doing root cause analysis, but we didn't, we didn't reduce risk and we didn't, like we didn't prevent future failures. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And that's key. Right. Cause uh, yeah. Otherwise it's just uh kind of a, almost an academic exercise, right? It's uh sort of something you do in a conference room and then, and then, so, so yeah, there's, there's, you do the analysis, you actually make the changes, but if you don't check, you don't know if those changes produce the result you were looking for. So it's, it's important to be clear on what you're trying to accomplish from the beginning, but it's also important to validate whether or not your hypothesis was, was true or false. So it goes back to the scientific method, right? So scientific method, you, you form a hypothesis, 
you experiment, you try something, you check to verify if your hypothesis was true or false. If it's true, meaning you were right about the changes, having the result or producing the results you, you anticipated, then you might select a different project to work on next. If it's false, that's perfectly fine. You know, nothing to be ashamed of. And this is a big area where where people go astray is people feel like they failed if their hypothesis was false. They feel like they failed if they made changes and it didn't produce the result they wanted. But in really in those failures is where the key learnings are. That's where you grow. Right. You don't necessarily grow when you're right, when your your hypothesis is true. You just confirm something you you sort of already knew. But when you when you disprove yourself, when you make changes to a process and it doesn't produce the result you want, that's when you grow. That's when you learn, because you realize that something, an assumption you might have been that you might have had in your mind and you might have been making decisions based on assumption that you just validated that was not a true assumption. So it's, it's very important to to really call out those, hey, we tried A, B, and C, and they did not work. So now we know that those things are not causing our issues. So let's continue to go through the PDCA cycle and find out what actually is creating the results that we're seeing. And let's try things. And then finally, we'll get to a, a solution that produces a better result. You go through that process and you do it right. You, it's a lot. You're a lot less likely to go back the other way in the future. So sustainability increases as well. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I love that. Like I, I love saying that and like failure definitely helps you learn. And also the other thing is proving something is false is, is pretty much just as valuable as proving something is true. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely the case. Totally agree. Awesome. And so I, I guess I wanted to kind of get your thoughts. Like I haven't really spent a lot of time on the continuous improvement side. And I, I kind of wanted to just, you know, get a little introduction to, you know, a Six Sigma or a Kazen project. You want to give us a little bit of, you know, how you see those and like where people can kind of learn more about it. So even though you may not use the technical terms of continuous improvement or, you know, have a formal training in continuous improvement, I'd be willing to bet that you understand what it is and you probably do it all the time. Right. So think about making a uh, repair on the on a failed motor, for example. Right. If a motor fails, a mechanic goes out and they take a look at the motor. Right. That's sort of the plan piece. They say, all right, I think it's these three things need to be fixed, right? They try three things and uh, maybe the motor doesn't start. That's, you know, that's the, that's the do and the check piece, right? You check and see if it'll start up and then you decide, okay, that didn't work. We need to try something else. Someone try these other two or three things. And then you do those things. And then finally the motor starts up. So you're pretty much executing the continuous improvement cycle in just going out and troubleshooting a routine failure. Right. So at the lowest level, yes, that's 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 continuous improvement. That's PDCA at the highest level. That same process is done at the, at the in the C-suite when they're trying to figure out things they can do to increase the, 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 the stock value uh, or the, the valuation of, a, of the entire or, uh, enterprise. Now, when it comes to uh, the, t the technical stuff behind uh, continuous improvement, Kaizen, Six Sigma, 
Uh, of course, you know, Six Sigma is 3.4 defects per million units produced. That's Six Sigma on a distribution curve. Uh, that's uh, a very ambitious target and uh, not always the most practical, but it's, it certainly puts you on the journey for improving product quality. And that's that's ultimately what you're going for with Six Sigma is, is uh, near perfect product quality. Lean is about creating the most value for your customer as possible with the least amount of resources consumed. OK, so uh, that's a distinction that's important because a lot of folks approach lean like a cost savings initiative or throughput increase initiative. But you should probably start with your customer and understand what they perceive as value and understand that value in their mind is constantly changing. So you, you should you have to stay connected with your customer and continue to change your business as their perception of value changes as well. The next step in that is delivering that value with the least amount of resources consumed. So that's time, that's money, that's uh, material, uh, energy, utilities, you name it, right? Um, and the idea is to, uh, in Lean, there's a couple of tenants. One of them is one-piece flow. So a lot of manufacturers use batches to produce product. And the idea is to get down to one piece flowing through the production process to control inventory levels and also get to where uh, the customer is pulling work through the process instead of the manufacturer pushing product out into the market where there's there's not enough demand to consume that product. So uh, those are those are the general the fundamental concepts between Lean and Six Sigma. Uh, there's other ones. There's TPM. Um, like I say, a lot of companies are really buying into TPM lately from from some of the conversations I'm having. And uh, what TPM is, is is more of a is more of a predefined set of standards on how to manage a manufacturing operation. And uh, some of those standards bleed over into administrative functions as well. But one of the core tenets of TPM is autonomous maintenance. At where uh, it's the same idea of building operator competency by uh, helping them um, first first the first thing you want to do is try to get the manufacturing process up to base condition where there are uh, virtually no defects and you're running you're running in a state where your unplanned downtime is virtually eliminated right? Virtually. I say virtually because that's kind of an idealistic state. <laughs> it's one we all shoot for. We, yeah, we love that. Yeah. We love the, yeah, that's the, that's the journey. Right. And the idea is to achieve and sustain base condition. And, uh, from an AM standpoint, the first thing you're doing is, uh, eliminating defects. You're installing center lines, which give you an indication if you're getting out of base condition, that and, and triggers the root cause analysis process. Uh, you're tracking your micro stoppages, um, and then you sort of progress into AM step two, which is uh, you're eliminating sources of contamination. You're doing where, where, why, why analysis to understand where contamination is coming from, and then patching up those those leaks. Uh, and then in step three, you're teaching your operators how to do cleaning, inspection, inspections, uh, lubrication, and tightening. But all of these steps, the intent is to achieve and sustain your manufacturing process at base condition. 
And base condition is, is, is synonymous with being having machines that run as good as new at all times. New with a caveat. Sometimes sometimes new equipment doesn't start up. But when I say when I say new in this case, I mean uh, zero defects, essentially. Yeah, I mean, if if we think back to RCM, there's a lot of infant mortality failures. So, yes, yes, and also within TPM, there's a um, a pillar called early management, which the the idea is that you you achieve a vertical startup, what's called a vertical startup, where instead of going through the trial and error process of trying to get the machine dialed in, you actually execute the the change management to do as much, to, to move as much work to the predictive side and preventative side that then as opposed to having all that work being done on the reactive side where you're already suffering from losses and consequences and things like that. Awesome. No, now I guess like from a little bit of a layman's perspective, like if we're looking at all these different methods, like where do we start? Like, let's say we have you know we're get we're not exactly at like optimal base level yet but we're we're looking to you know improve our manufacturing process like which technique should we use how do we start the the process the first thing you want to do is be clear on what you're trying to accomplish right and i always say make sure you understand value from the customer and then what that should translate into is a corporate strategy right so for example you might say we can win the next big, huge account by becoming the lowest lead time producer in the market amongst all of our competitors, right? If we can, if we can become the lowest lead time producer, we got the deal, right? So um, what you may do is make that part of your corporate strategy, uh, lead time reduction across your manufacturing base. And then you would prioritize, you, you would assess you know, what's keeping you from reducing your lead time currently and then deploy in your continuous improvement efforts against uh, those biggest drivers of losses. And, you know, although a lot of a lot of the industry is moving toward, you know, world class manufacturing and TPM, which is a very robust and sort of a cut and paste approach to continuous improvement, um, I tend to advocate more of a pinpoint what's driving your biggest losses, and then assign targets, improvement targets to the process owners. And of course, the leaders would serve as coaches and then work with those process owners to apply the scientific method to reduce the losses in their specific area. Of course, using the team-based approach. So you might have you know, an operator, mechanic, safety, quality person, uh, scheduler or whoever else needs to be involved, all of the affected stakeholders internally, and just work to drive drive out losses in the areas that are keeping your business from achieving its its broader objectives. And over time, what you'll find is you'll end up creating your own version of TPM. You'll end up creating more PMs. You end up doing more autonomous maintenance type uh, activities. You end up achieving base condition ultimately. Uh, but you, you 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 would do it in a more a way that helps you achieve your immediate business goals in the right order in the right sequence instead of instead of just dropping a a large robust process saying you know get up to standard on all these items it's more it's more systematic in in bringing value to the customer. Oh, I love that. I mean, it's like you've directly related it to 
kind of the ISO 55000 asset management framework where we we think about organizational goals as kind of our priority and that everything we do relates to that. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, absolutely. I need to study up on uh, ISO 55000, but yeah, it's uh, the same it's the same idea. I mean, there's there's not too much to it more than that, right? So it's like relating everything to to your organizational goals. And it's really, I think it's like a three-page document. So it's a pretty quick read, but I'm hoping that we'll get some people on um, to talk about it more. I mean, Suzanne Greenman talked a little bit about it in one of the previous episodes, but we'll have her back maybe to dive deep into it. Oh, good. Absolutely. Yeah, I heard Suzanne. She's uh, very sharp. It's a very good podcast. Yeah, she's great. And, and one of the things like she's putting out a book soon, which is, you know, it's on risk-based criticality. And so the one of the, the key concepts to that is looking at your organizational goals and really using those to directly relate to looking at each piece of equipment and determining whether or not that equipment is critical or not or important, essentially, or not. Mm, interesting. Yeah, and that's a key thing. That's a key distinction, too. And, you know, we look at Toyota being the father of continuous improvement, even though they learned a lot from some American manufacturers early on, too. But they use a process called Hoshin Conry, where it's sort of a catch ball strategy deployment process uh, based on based on target um, deployment and achievement. But um, what a lot of companies I think have an opportunity for improvement in the way they approach continuous improvement, right? So they look at CI and they say, oh, we can use some of these lean tools to cut costs or increase throughput, sort of those, those tactical, um, you know, metrics driving objectives. But what, what companies really could do is use their CI program to deploy their strategy. So a lot of companies go through these strategy deployment exercises every year they come up with these brilliant plans and, you know, uh, spend so much time and effort creating a strategy. And then uh, a vast majority of them never get implemented. But at the same time, some of these same companies have CI departments or CI functions that are working on Kaizen events that have nothing to do with their strategy. So to, to make the connection, what they could do is just have use their CI program. And this is this is the way Toyota originally done it and somehow we got away from this is use your CI program as the mechanism to deploy your strategy and bring it into fruition. And that, that sort of drives to the conversation we were just having about how you, you use your, your limited CI resources because they are limited. You can't just do unlimited improvements to, uh, to, to further your objectives as an organization. Absolutely. I guess one thing I wanted to to mention with that you posted on one of your tips of the day was that when you start doing a continuous improvement project, typically you'll get a bump in in production or a bump in quality or or whatever you're trying to measure, but it's not necessarily even because of a change that you made. It's just because your I guess your people are focusing on it. Do you want to just give people a a like what was that called? I forget what it was called, but you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, that's called the uh, the Hawthorne effect, right? It's the the very act of looking at a process and tr- 
measuring and tracking a process, you're going to see an immediate bump in productivity. Just because when people know they're being watched, they're going to behave differently. And in some cases, they're going to they're going to behave better. So uh, but that's a it's, it's a little deceptive, though, because it's a short term bump in productivity. And sometimes we take that bump and we say, oh, we improved the process. Right. And, you know, sometimes we even go as far as actually making changes. But we say, oh, yeah, we improved the process. But you you got to be careful about that because sometimes that 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 superficial bump in productivity is more driven by the Hawthorne effect of people behaving differently just because they know they're being watched as opposed to making real sustainable process changes. And when you've gotten when you've truly gotten to the root cause root cause of the losses you're seeing, and you make some process changes that hit the hit the target right in the bullseye then those changes are truly uh, truly going to drive better performance results over time. And that's the key is to, to, to keep an eye on processes and have the, the, the granularity of data to know if you're, you're sustaining and staying on the right track. And it's okay if, if, if it's not, it just means that you need to keep going through the PDCA cycle until you get the result you want. Now, is that like in order to figure that out, is it is that only a time thing or is there other ways we can figure out what the if it's a Hawthorne effect or if it's something real? Well, if you know you didn't make any changes, then, you know, you, <laughs> you know, it's just the Hawthorne effect. Right. Um, but if you've made changes and, it, you know, things are looking good initially. Um, yeah, it's just a matter of time. You got to sort of watch and see how things progress. You know, as new people rotate in and out, as other changes take effect. Uh, you got to kind of see what happens to the performance of the asset and or, or the or the production system. And uh, yeah, if you see if you start to see a decline, then you know that there's some other issues that need to be addressed. Awesome. So, I mean, one it was this was a really fun discussion. I enjoyed it, and I also I also like learned some stuff too. So I'm excited about that. Now. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah. Now, Calvin, just just to reiterate for everybody, so when the webinar, where can people find out how to sign up for it, and when is it going to be again? Okay, so uh, it'll be ready December fourth is what we're targeting. I think that's a Tuesday. And uh, if you go to Improver Technologies, I M P R U V E R technologies company page on LinkedIn. That's uh, where we where we publish all of our events and uh, videos and other content. Um, you can certainly find it there, uh, but you can also find it at improver.com, I-M-P-R-U-V-E-R.com. And uh, we'll, we'll be doing webinars on a regular basis. So um, if December 4th doesn't work out, uh, there's, there's a good chance there'll be another one uh, ready to go uh, first thing next year as well. So uh, we want to make sure everybody gets an opportunity to check it out because it's going to be some really, really fantastic content there. Perfect. And and if you uh, if you put that one out on LinkedIn, I'll definitely share that one because I think it'd be super valuable for anybody listening. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I'm, think, I'm really excited about it. My team is really excited about it. 
Awesome. Um, I guess one more question before we get you out of here. And this is, I, I love asking this question to people because I, I love seeing different perspectives. And it's with, you know, the advancements of virtual reality, augmented reality, artificial intelligence, where do you see the future of, I'll, I'll say it in, in context, but what's the future of your manufacturing? Where do you think that's going? Oh boy, man, that is a question right there, isn't it? Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I've, 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 I've talked to some friends of mine about universal basic income where machines do all the work and people just collect the income from, from the government kind of thing. And that's, that's on the far extreme. I'm not, I don't, I don't know if we'll get to that point, it's not in my lifetime anyway. Um, uh, but I certainly think that obviously automation is going to continue to uh, advance in manufacturing and software, of course, is going to, is going to continue to make an impact. Um, I do see artificial intelligence and software, especially serving to empower people more so than replace people. Um, Cause I still feel you need people there to first of all, build the technology and maintain the technology uh, I think that's a big lesson we learned from Tesla just recently that uh, you can't fully automate a factory. You still need people there who can uh, take care of all that automation. And, you know, some of the things we just talked about today during the, during this call where, you know, even the most perfect machines start to degrade over time just due to normal wear and tear. And if you don't have people there with the capability to, you know, maintain that equipment in base condition, then uh, obviously your assets just aren't going to be as productive. The other thing that machines will never do is deploy strategy and you know understand how to bring greater value to your customer. Uh, they, they can't talk to your customer and understand what their needs are and their changing perceptions are to stay ahead of the market. So you're always always going to need um, always going to need people there to to help drive that stuff too. But I certainly can see, you know, augmented reality being used to centralize maintenance operations, for example, where instead of having a maintenance team at every plant, you could maybe have a centralized maintenance team in one location and they can use AR to help troubleshoot, you know, help uh, maybe a smaller maintenance team or even operators troubleshoot from uh, remotely. Uh, I could see that being a, um, a trend that could that could that could become very popular. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's my thought. Obviously this is, this is something I think about and still trying to figure out where, where things are going. So yeah, I think it's a great question though. I don't know. What, what, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah. I mean, I, well, first off, I mean, right now where we're looking at artificial intelligence um, and this was something that Blair Frazier mentioned in his talk at uh, the main train conference is the best chess player in the world right now is not AI and it's not a person. It's the combination of both. Yes. There you go. Right. It's, it's using artificial intelligence to do the things that it does well. And then also pairing that with human expertise. And a lot of the things that we've talked about on this podcast as well, you know, with um, you know, with, with companies like Uptake and companies like Petasense is 
we need to kind of fundamentally start with human expertise to build the the AI and then use it to obviously make the the changes that we want. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I hear people who, uh, who who say we should maybe be a little afraid of AI because it's going to accelerate things and it may spiral out of control. But my thought around AI is that when you think about intelligence, intelligence is guided by values, principles, you know, just those sort of foundational ways of seeing things. Um, AI is going to learn on its own, but the way, you know, there there are very intelligent and smart people who who end up having completely different uh, points of view on the life and on life and the way things should be done. So uh, obviously there's, there's, there's an element where the programmer, programs in their value system into AI and AI uses that value system as a way to interpret what they see and how to, how to, you know, where the take away the key learnings from, from what they're experiencing. Yeah. And I, it's, it's a really exciting time for me. I mean, I think that like, I'm excited to see this technology evolve. Like I'm using a little bit of machine learning at work and, um, you know, we're starting to see a little bit of the augmented reality uh, pop into, uh, at least into maintenance and reliability. So I'm excited to see where it goes. I think there's a lot of benefit to it. But again, like the fundamental thing I see is the, is the guy on the floor and the culture, like at least for the next, you know, probably five to 10 years, that's going to be the key thing that even if we try to implement this stuff, if we don't affect the guy on the floor and give him, you know, that intrinsic or extrinsic motivation to change his behavior, we really haven't done anything. That's exactly, yeah. I'm in the same place. Yeah, that's that's key. Yeah, and it starts with the guy on the floor, and and, and even frontline leadership is going is is a key player in shaping the culture, and uh, and and really gamifying the culture, like we were we were discussing before. Absolutely. And so, you know, Calvin, you know, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you sharing your expertise with us. And I'm looking forward to having you back on to talk more because I don't, we didn't even, we barely scratched the surface on this one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. Anytime. I was, I'm happy to do it. Awesome. So everyone listening, if you don't already follow Calvin on LinkedIn, if you're listening to this on LinkedIn or through LinkedIn, click on the post. He'll be tagged. If you're listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher or Google, um, go to the podcast notes. His profile link will be in there. If you want to learn more about Improver Technologies, I-M-P-R-U-V-E-R.com. Check that out. 